Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about sushi and other oddities of contemporary consumption. We report on a tipsy lawnmower rider. We reveal shocking fraud in the Airbnb market. We explain why sometimes you're too young to dance. We clock in on the world's fastest old man. And we ask the all-important question, why aren't we eating more bugs? In the Old Dogs interview, we bring you part two of our conversation with Michelle Watkins. In this part, Michelle gives us an overview of how to make the right choice when looking for a senior living community. Stay with us. Paul. Yo. What is on your mind? Well, I've been thinking about uh, one of our pod nuggets from today's episode that uh, talks about different kinds of food that we're not used to. To say the least. And uh, that started me thinking, uh, you know, when we were young people starting out, our food tastes were probably pretty narrow. Mm -hmm. And things that we thought would not be food have turned out to be food on our table. You got some thoughts? Um, sure, sure. For example, I used to have just Rice Krispies until I was introduced to Sugar Crisp. Oh, okay. No, but I know what you mean, that the, over time, uh, as we have broadened our um, awareness of other foods, and as uh, the possibility of importing foods from other countries has been more prevalent, and as we've traveled, uh, we've been exposed to different kinds of foods that we never would have had before. For example, uh, how many people, well, if you mentioned the word sushi uh, 50 years ago, would even know what you were talking about? Yeah, it would sound like some kind of a weapon. <laughs> and yet, yeah, sushi restaurants everywhere. When, when you talk about uh, a sushi restaurant, you've got various types of sushis, you've got sashimi, you've got various kinds of raw fish, and why would anybody eat that? Well, 50 years ago, they wouldn't. Right. Uh, but today, very common. Very common. And, you know, 50 years ago, what was a chicken nugget? They didn't have <laughs> chicken nuggets. Where on a chicken does a chicken nugget come from? If I have to explain it, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> okay. But that's a fairly common staple now, certainly for kids' lunches. Now, what is probably the weirdest thing you've ever eaten, Paul? Well, I'll tell you. In Peru, mm. the guinea pig what? is considered its their chicken. People grow them in their backyard. So I, I sampled uh, roasted uh, guinea pig. And it was actually uh, tasted just like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so has that experience affected how you approach dining out, let's say, or the foods that you purchase to cook at home? Well, I can't say that I've been looking for guinea pigs or us trying to find a drive through um, I think I have certainly broadened my horizons as to what is edible. How about yourself? Uh, my horizons... Uh, have gone from, let's say, American cheese to cheddar, perhaps. <laughs> oh, aren't you the rogue? <laughs> <laughs> I am not that adventuresome, I'm afraid to say. Really? Yeah. And, uh, well, why? Because I like cheeseburgers. <laughs> I see. Okay. A Florida man found out that driving a riding lawnmower under the influence doesn't cut it. <laughs> this pod nugget is from the Huff Post for May 15th, 2019. 
A 68-year-old man in Haines City, Florida, took a riding lawnmower out for a joyride well drunk. It probably would have gone unnoticed, except he rammed into a parked police car. Police said that he had a blood alcohol content more than three times the legal limit. The driver had two previous DUI convictions. Were they on the lawnmower, too? And his license had been suspended since 1978. If the man had just stayed on his lawn, he wouldn't have gotten his third DUI and maybe even one lawn of the month. The Haines City Police Chief commented, It's never a good idea to get behind the wheel drunk, even if that wheel is to a craftsman, Massey Ferguson, or John Deere. I gotta know why a police officer allowed a guy on a lawnmower to plow into his car? Uh, I don't know. I guess you normally wouldn't say, Oh, here comes a lawnmower. Here comes a lawnmower. (laughs) Airbnb listed it as a clean room with private bathroom in Amsterdam. It soon became apparent that the host was a creative writer. This pod nugget is from Sky News for May 16, 2019. A British tourist booked the room for a night. What he discovered when he arrived was a cargo container on the side of the road close to Amsterdam's Amstel Station. In the container were a couple of thin mattresses and a portable toilet hanging from the wall. The tourist said that the host had warned him shortly before arrival that there was an issue with running water. Well, in fact, the issue was that there wasn't any running water. When he rechecked the listing, it had been changed to a container home, which was at least getting closer to the truth. Airbnb refunded the £100 the tourist had paid and refunded the cost of a replacement hotel room. The company also removed the host's profile and his listings, which also included a second container on the other side of the city. Oh, no. Apparently, rogue Airbnb listings are not uncommon. In one case, a Londoner listed a private room in a public place. This turned out to be a mattress, rug, and bedside table outside some garages in Peckham. At least the container home in Amsterdam was indoors. Yeah. If you are a senior and you still have your dance moves, there might be a place for you with the Space City Seniors in Houston. This piece is from the Houston Chronicle for April 1st, 2019. The Houston Rockets have a traditional dance team of fit young women with unflappable smiles. But they also have a co-ed dance team made up of seniors called the Space City Seniors. And there's a lot of competition to make the team. The 33 members of the Space City Seniors range in age from 55 to 73. You must be at least 55 years old and in pretty good shape to earn a place. Once on the team, there are weekly mandatory practices to perfect the different routines. One dancer, Alvin Adams, who has been two-stepping and swing dancing since he was a child, says he loves to learn the new hip-hop moves, even though he doesn't quite understand the music. Go figure. In his words, most of the music now is basically just a beat, thumping and rapping. They call it rapping, I just call it talking. Another dancer, Yachito Jose, said she had to wait three years until she was old enough to audition. She's been a team member ever since and says, I'd like to keep dancing forever. It makes me happy, and I think it keeps you young. Most of the members would probably agree with that. Now, isn't it interesting that somebody would say, no, you're too young to dance with us? Well, Jim, you're the right age. How are your moves? 
The prevailing wisdom is you are supposed to slow down and take it easy when you get older. But Charles Alley at 71 is neither slow nor taking it easy. This item is from the New York Times for July 10th, 2019. Charles holds the world records as a runner in the 400 meters and 200 meters in his age group. And now he wants to break the record for 100 meters. His explanation is that he is addicted to speed. The runner is blessed with fast legs and a body that ages at a slow rate. His weight hasn't fluctuated by more than 5 pounds in 25 years. He's rarely sick and has never had a major injury. He watches what he eats and is always in training. In high school and college, he was a good runner, but not world class. He competed in occasional track meets in his 20s and 30s, but he was a sporadic competitor until he hit 40 and began master's competition. He then discovered that he had lost less speed than his contemporaries. Now, since then, he has been competing nationally and internationally with great success. Our hat's off to Charles Alley. That a way to howl at the moon. Insects are high in protein, low in cost, eco-friendly, and even tasty, according to some folks. So why aren't we dining on our multi-legged friends? Good question, Paul. This item is from the New York Times Magazine for September 7th, 2019. It's estimated that more than a quarter of the Earth's population eats bugs as part of the regular diet. Only in the West have we resisted bugging out. However, in the West, we do eat slimy oysters, stinky cheese, hot dogs made from unrecognizable meat parts, and crawfish, which are often called mud bugs. The reason is Europeans never had an insect-eating tradition. Of course. We largely consider insects as pests that are dirty and carriers of disease. However, this hasn't stopped some entrepreneurs from promoting bugs as a superfood. But the insects these companies are selling no longer look like insects. They're ground into powder and marketed as flour, (laughs) such as cricket flour. It should be added that we do unintentionally eat insects. Some estimate as much as two pounds a year. These are stray insect fragments that are a byproduct of processed food. They can appear in foods like peanut butter, wheat flour, and frozen vegetables. This is allowed by the Food and Drug Administration in limited quantities. Some 2,100 species of insects have been identified as edible. (laughs) Yum, yum. They are comparable in food value to chicken, beef, and pork, but they don't take a lot of space to grow, and they produce less than one-tenth of the greenhouse gases. The Texas-based Aspire Food Group plans to build several automated cricket production facilities. The final product can be roasted or turned into flour. So maybe it's time to think globally and pass the grub worms. Uh, Maybe. I'm going to draw the line at cockroaches, Paul. In our last episode, we started a conversation with Michelle Watkins as a marketing specialist in retirement living. Michelle has seen a major shift in the quality and quantity of living options for seniors. In this episode, she talks about how the shift happened and what to look for in contemporary senior living choices. Basically, the baby boomers have changed the face of senior living, and they will not stand for what senior living used to be. Your grandmother's rest home, they're not going to stand for that. And they've changed it with the help of Del Webb, you know, 55 and older communities. You had this idea of 
quote unquote, active adults, right? So there was that whole idea. And then that whole idea kind of morphed into making retirement communities a lot more palatable than they had been back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, right? So now the people in their 90s still have trouble shaking that preconceived idea of what that means. And they always say, well, I'm not ready to give up my independence yet. What people in their 60s and 70s find when they make the move early is that, oh, my God, look, I've given all of my chores now to someone else. So I've gained even more independence because I don't have the headache of home ownership and, you know, having to clean my own house and having to make my meals for my husband. I, all of that's gone away now. Now I really have independence to go and travel and play bridge 24 hours a day or whatever it is their their passions are. You know, uh, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but could you come up with a short checklist that people could use uh, if they're looking for uh, this kind of living? Well, I would say the first thing, if you don't want to revisit your search, you know, in the near future when you have a change of condition, make sure the place that you choose has all the levels of care you might ever need. You know, and, and people don't even really know the difference. Well, how does assisted living differ from independent living? It's like independent living is going to offer you support services like maid service and meals prepared on site and, you know, transportation services and, you know, activities and events and that kind of thing. Assisted living is where you get into someone providing personal care for you, assistance with bathing and grooming and dressing, maybe medication management, you know, helping you transfer from your easy chair to your bed or to the bathroom, things like that. More hands-on care is what assisted living is. So it's important first to really know what the differences are. Memory care, for example, is a big buzzword out there right now. And people think, oh, that's for people with Alzheimer's. It's like there are like 70 different types of dementia right now. Alzheimer's is the most diagnosed than any of them, but there's so many different kinds of dementia that people are being um, diagnosed with. But memory care, when you hear the word memory care, it typically means that the people who live in memory care really need to have their surroundings secured. So they, a lot of them suffer from what's called sundowner syndrome, which basically means, you know, it's, it's getting late in the afternoon, early evening, and they think it's the morning, and they've got appointments they've got to keep, and they've got to go. And they go off, they go, you know, out the door, into the garage, get in their car and drive away. You never see them again. And it's a silver alert, right? Mm-hmm. When people have those kinds of wandering issues and they wander away and they become disoriented, that's typically when they need memory care is when they're fully ambulatory, but they have that kind of wandering situation. So a lot of forms of dementia can be handled in assisted living, especially if they're not, you know, if they're not still walking, (laughs) you know, they can't get very far, you know. So, um, but knowing the differences between the levels of living is is the first thing. Educate yourself about that before you need it, right? And to find a place, especially for a couple, to find a place that offers all of it and find a place that you like when you're independent 
And if you meet all the people who run it and the people who are rendering the care there and you feel comfortable, you know, you go into the nursing area, the skilled nursing rehab part, and people, you know, are, are happy, they're smiling, they're, it's just a vibe you get. You've got to visit the places in person because it's just like shopping for a home. You know the minute you walk in the front door whether or not you want to live there. Um, but in our part of the country here, Houston is so neighborhood centric that many times it, they, they start with location. This is the part of town I've been in my whole life. This is the part of town where all of my activities are. This is where I want to stay. So here's the circle on the map. And then now I want to know how many places in this area offer all the levels of care that I ever would need. And this is the list of those. Now, of those, which ones are for-profit and which ones are not-for-profit? How long have they been in business? You know, how long have they been owned by the company that is currently running them? You know, the history, the reputation, the legacy that they have behind them, I think is highly important. Um, but the nonprofit, for-profit status is, is, you know, will affect the lifestyle when you move in. So that's something that I think is important. Um, some places out there are just month-to-month rentals. And some places out there are referred to as buy-ins. I think that's a, a bit of a misnomer because it gives the impression that you're buying the condo that you're living in and that there's a transfer of deed or title, but none of that happens. So the buy-in amount that you pay is basically like a healthcare membership. It's like a membership to a, a healthcare community that uh, you have the rights to live in and, and take advantage of all the services they provide for the rest of your life if you want, right? Normally the money that you pay is not held in escrow or anything, but it sits in the account of that organization and normally it's going to be, if you were to outlive your assets, it's going to be used for your care at some point in time. And typically buy-in communities are normally nonprofit communities because then they also make the assurance to people that, well, here's the deal. Normally people sell the primary residence that they're living in. They use the proceeds from the sale of that piece of real estate and they just move it over into another category. Now it's here as my healthcare nest egg, my healthcare cushion, but it's going to be on deposit with the company that, that runs my community. And if ever it doesn't need to be accessed for my care, then 90% of it will go back to my estate as it should. But if I outlive my money while I'm living here, I don't have to worry about my kids paying for my care because this organization will absorb the cost of my care. That's very clear. Um, back to the idea of socialization. I'm curious to know uh, your perspective on interacting with people who are, in many cases, quite a bit older than you are. What surprises have you encountered? I think the biggest surprise for me is, you know, in getting to know people who inquire about this kind of living. And, you know, sometimes I'll go to their homes. They'll invite me to their homes to come and visit and, and talk about things. And a lot of times I find, particularly men, can become very uh, introverted because it's like when they had to retire, then all of a sudden the thing that made them feel most relevant in their world is gone. And their only real 
interaction is with their spouse and they just kind of start to turn inward. So what's so cool for me to watch a lot of times is when a couple will move in here and the man in particular just blossoms, you know, because now they're, you know, especially I'm lucky enough to work in a community that has a lot of men in it. Most communities are more geared towards women, but, but you'll find some, especially the ones that have all the levels of care will attract more couples. And so you'll find more men live there. And it's just very cool to see them come out of their shell again and start being part of the, the breakfast club group where all the men gather together and have their coffee and, and solve the world's problems. Or, you know, then when they go and they do the putting competition outside and it's all very, you know, but they find a, a camaraderie that they had when they were working and they, they find a, a reason to get up in the morning again. And just having the, the kinds of things that you enjoy doing only an elevator right away you're a lot more likely to want to engage yourself in the things that you enjoy. Well, as a matter of fact, we have been talking about that. and I've been talking about putting Paul somewhere where he might be happier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he was thinking like a closet that's lockable. <laughs> like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.